If you have your Bibles, we turn over to Acts chapter 4, just the same uh, verses we were in last week. I just want to continue on uh, with where we were, Acts chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 23 uh, through to verse 31. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, right through to verse uh, 31. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine faint things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness that we may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they speak the word of God with boldness. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. The title of this message this morning is Behold, their threatenings. Behold, their threatenings. We just looked at it last week, that particular verse in verse 28 there we were reading, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And we understand in the light of Calvary, as they were looking just freshly upon the wonderful work of the cross, and all that had risen up against the Lord Jesus Christ as he hung on Calvary's tree, they looked in the victory and in the counsel of God and understood that everything that they would face in life, they could face it in the knowledge that they were more than conquerors through the Lord Jesus Christ and the victory of the cross. They understand that God had a plan, that God had a purpose, that God was working and everything was working together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to the purposes of God. And as it was for the early church, it is the same for the church in the last days. We are living, and I know we say this often, and I pray that it is not something that we just glibly uh, sweep over, but we are living in the last days. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it draweth nigh. It is even at the door. And in these last days, we know in a world that's in turmoil and with much change, we thank God that the power of the cross and the resurrection is as powerful today as it was for these believers in this upper room. It has not diminished in any way. Christ is all-powerful, almighty. He is the risen, conquering Son. And if we pull in the Revelation chapter 17 this morning as we are in the last moments of time, that people might sit here and say, do you actually believe that? Do you actually believe that the world is coming to an end? Do you actually believe that, that, that we are rapidly coming towards the second coming 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that this same Jesus that ascended up into heaven will come in like manner. He is coming again and he is coming very soon. And in the, in the climate of that last age of the church, much like the first age of the church, the first century church, we see here that they were facing a political system, an intellectual system, and a religious system. There was a, a, a trinity of wickedness that rose up against the Lord Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. In these last days, we are still facing, we are still against, and they're against us, a political system, an intellectual system. Are you hearing me this morning? A political system, an intellectual system, and a religious system. They still hate the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, ye shall be hated for my name's sake. In these last days, we will face, like they faced, this Antichrist system. Now when you pull in the Revelation 17, we read in this chapter, and we have looked at it before, but for those who maybe aren't familiar with this, we're reading a, a lot of symbolism and a lot of uh, pictures that the Apostle is uh, presenting to us to understand what has taken place in the final conflict that we are currently in. Revelation 17 isn't something in the future. Revelation 17 is happening in the present. And we must know that, that it's, this is present. Now in this particular chapter you read here uh, from verse 3 through to verse 6. And again, some of the language you'll find maybe difficult to grasp. What is he actually speaking of? But here we see John is carried away in verse 3. And the spirit into the wilderness. And he sees a woman sitting upon a scarlet colored beast. And the beast is full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stone and pearls, having golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Now listen carefully. As you're looking at this woman, this woman is a harlot. She's a harlot. This is a religious system. It is like Christianity, but it is not Christianity. It is like Christianity, but it is not. It is a counterfeit religious system. This is, this is what we're reading. And a, verse 5, And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. I saw the woman, this religious system is antichrist, I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Here's John carried by the Spirit. He's seeing what would happen or what was being foretold or revealed to him concerning the last moments of time. There would be a religious system that was like Christianity, but it is not Christianity. It might have all the names. It might believe that there is a Jesus. It might believe there's a God. It might believe there's a cross. Look, the Bible tells us that the devil believes and he trembles. The devil believes and he trembles. Paul warned us that even 
Now, the devil can appear as an angel of light. That's why we need to know the Word of God. That's why we need to know and understand the Word of God in these days. That's why we should study to show ourselves approved because there's so much seducing spirits in these last days to seduce men and women and to cause them to fall away even from the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Now here we see in Revelation 17, if you just move down the chapter for time's sake, it tells us that this woman is upon a beast. This beast is an antichrist system that rises out of the people. You'll find this if you read the whole chapter. It interprets itself that there's a rise out of the seas. This woman is sitting upon this beast. And this beast is an antichrist system. This religious system sits upon that beast. Brothers and sisters, you understand, and friend, this morning, that the turmoil that we are seeing in our nation concerning Brexit, but I want to tell you something. I'm sure you're fed up listening to it as much as everybody else. But I want to tell you something. The issue isn't Brexit. Do you understand that? We get caught into the political warfare of all of that. But I want to tell you, we need to get to God's word. The issue isn't Brexit. I pray that we do get out. I pray that we'll cut the chains from that European system that's rotten to the very core. And that's what I pray. But the issue isn't Brexit. That's not the issue. There is a, an antichrist system that's rising rapidly across this world. We're heading, the Bible tells us, but we're heading, and I know I often say it, but many years ago when I was much younger in the late 80s, I can remember hearing uh, some preachers come along and they preach messages about we're heading for a cashless society. Everyone thought they were mad. Now, right, Joe, you remember. Everyone used to think, see these people? These people are crazy. And here we are some 30 years later. And I want to tell you, these men have gone home to be with Jesus Christ. But what they prophesied from the Word of God, not just out of their own intellect, but from the Word of God, we're heading for a cashless society. And the mark of the beast and the chip that's coming, are, you know, we heard all that, and they used to mock and laugh. Even in the church, they were, they were treated as clowns in most of the churches. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, we are heading for a cashless society, chip and pin. And now we're going to make it much easier for you. We'll just slip a wee chip in between your finger and your thumb, and you'll not even have to worry about it. We're heading rapidly to what the Bible has already prophesied and told us of. And friends, that's not hundreds of years away. That's in our generation. And so we see here that this Beast that rises out of the waters. The waters are the nations of the world or the people. But in Revelation 17, I want to focus your mind on these words. Revelation 17 and 13. These have one mind. Did, did you read that? Did you, just, did you grasp what, what the Word of God says? These have one mind. There is a united front. Oh, to God that the church would be united. Oh, to God, that the church would have one accord. But this Antichrist system, it's political, it's religious, and it's intellectual. They have one mind. They have one mind. This is all working one way. 
And this is what it says. They'll give their power and their strength to the beast. That beast is that antichrist world that's on the ascendancy in our generation. These shall make war with the Lamb. So what the first church were encountering here in Acts chapter 4, it says, Behold their threatenings. That Antichrist system 2,000 years ago was already at work. It was political, it was religious, and it was intellectual. You remember two men stood before that council in Acts chapter 3. Their crime was that they laid hands on the man who, who was lame at the beautiful gate, and they said, we don't have silver or gold, but in the name of Jesus Christ, you rise up and walk. That was their crime. What happened? Immediately the power of God came into his ankles. He rose, and he was walking, and he was leaping, and he was praising the Lord. They trailed him before the council. These men, Peter and John, were ignorant and unlearned. That's what the Bible tells us. But what they did have was the power of the Holy Ghost. And church, if we in this hour, if we in these final moments, we need to know one thing. We need the power of the Holy Ghost in these last moments of time. Here we see that they'll make war with the Lamb. Now it tells us here, and we should shout hallelujah, and the Lamb shall overcome them. Praise the Lord. Are you with me this morning? The Lamb shall overcome, and the Lamb has overcome. For He is Lord of Lords, it's Jesus Christ. He's King of Kings, and they that are with Him. Now listen this morning. There's simply two groups of people in this room. It's not Protestant Catholic. It's not Hindu Muslim. It's not black or white. It's not Irish or English or British. There are simply two groups of people in this room this morning. And it's those that are saved and those that are lost. You fall into one of two camps this morning. You're either saved by the power of a risen Christ or you're lost and condemned to a lost eternity. Praise God this morning we're in the day of grace. And as we heard this morning so wonderfully, you can be translated, lifted, out of the powers of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his dear son in a moment. That's not a religious thing. That's a miracle of God's grace. And so we see here that there's a war. Saints, do you know we're in a war? And we're not too sure. Saints, do you know we're in a war? Do you know we're in a battle? This is not about the border. This is not about the flag you fly. This is not about the color of your curbs. We are in a battle this morning. And it's a real battle. It's a spiritual battle. And so we see that those that are with the Lamb, what are they? There's three things here. They that are with Him are called. Number one, are you called this morning? Number two, we're chosen, praise the Lord. And number three, they're faithful. And here, friends, is the battle that we're facing. The battle for our faith and to be faithful in these days. The power of a risen, glorified, victorious Savior in the last moments of time will overcome all the powers of darkness, even that antichrist system that is rising before us. Would you say amen if you believe that? And friends, you need to believe that and you need to know that this morning. 
we shall overcome because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In Ephesians 6 and 12, familiar verses, but we're in a warfare. And again, I want to read these verses because, you know, verses and, and scriptures that we know need to be more than something that we hang on our walls in our living room. They need to be more than something that we can just quote. These verses need to become a living reality in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are in danger of having an intellectual ascension to something, but denying the power of the reality of it all. We need the power of the Holy Ghost for that. In Ephesians 6 and 12, it says these words, Ephesians 6 and 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So our, our fight this morning is not a, a religious fight. It is not a, a political fight. It is not an intellectual fight. We're not in the natural. But look at this. Now remember, we know these verses, but, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. Saints, we are against something. You'll feel that. Brothers and sisters, how many feel that we're against something? Do you, do you sense that? Look, you might say some days, I don't understand what's all going on, but like I feel something is against me. Yes, there is something against you. You're a child of God. You're washed in the blood. You've got the lamb living in your heart this morning. And we're against principalities and powers. So we're against something. Thank God it's good to be against something in a politically correct world, isn't it? It's good to stand up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe in the book this morning. He created it all in six days. He died on the cross and he lives forever in my heart. You know, I know many of you work in the health sector and, and the civil service and all the, and you get all the emails of how you're supposed to walk, live, talk. What you're allowed to say, what you're not allowed, what you're allowed to wear, what you're not allowed. Brothers and sisters, we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we're against something. And so we see what we're against is spiritual. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye might be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, it's an evil day. Listen, it's an evil day. You'll be called evil for what you believe. Isn't that true? They'll call good evil and evil good. That's the day we're in. You'll be called evil, bigoted, extreme, everything else because of what you believe. But we got to know whom we believe in and be persuaded by that. So we see the battle. 2 Corinthians 10 and 3. Turn over just to this uh, this morning, just to bring the warfare aspect of it out. 2 Corinthians 10 and 3. 3 and 4. Again, familiar verses, but more than just something that we can quote intellectually. They've got to be understood of the battle that we're engaged in. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And verse 4, would you read it all with me? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What weapons has the Lord given us this morning? Mighty weapons! To the pulling down of every stronghold of hell. Now, just back in the Revelation 17 for a moment, because you remember in the in the council of God in his 
determine a council. In the beginning, on a Calvary, this was all ordered and planned by God Almighty. Could I tell you something? God, it's not out of control this morning. I want to encourage you, it's not out of control. It might, it might look that way if you watch politics for more than five seconds. The whole thing's out of control, but it's not out of control in God's economy. This is, this is what encourages me in, in all of this. Revelation 17, 17. Remember, they'll make war with the Lamb. We're living in an antichrist system and day that's rising all around us. For God, listen to these words, Revelation 17, 17. For God hath put in their hearts, God's done all this to fulfill his will. Are you hearing this this morning? All of this is happening. The beast, the antichrist, the harlot, the false religion, everything that's happening today, God has put it in their hearts. Let me tell you, the reason why Theresa May is in number 10 Downing Street is because God's put her there. The reason why our friend in the south of Ireland in Dublin is there is because God's put him there. The reason why Donald Trump, whatever you think of Donald Trump, is in the White House. I tell you why he's in the White House. Because Almighty God has put Donald Trump in the White House. The reason why Putin is in Russia is because God's put him there. This is all fulfilling the will of God. Church, that should encourage us this morning. Why? Because God's in control, not man. And to agree and give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. In other words, everything that's happening in our globe, the commotion, the political turmoil, all that's happening around us. You may walk along Main Street, Balnade, and say, what's this all got to do with me? I want to tell you something. There's an almighty God that's in control of everything that's happening in this planet this morning. It's not out of control. Men are out of control. But as this kingdom rises, God's put it in their hearts. And what's he doing? He's fulfilling his will and his word. And we as his people we will overcome. So it's important to know this. Now, as we look at this, what was sufficient for the first century church is also going to be sufficient for us. And what is that? It's the cross. It's enough. We need nothing more. But brothers and sisters, we need nothing less than the power of this cross for these last days. John the Apostle, 1 John and 4, and I've already Talked about this briefly, but 1 John uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, if you turn to it, brought us to these days and the understanding of the days that we would live in. And the old apostle, the last of the apostles here, writing this epistle, he, he says these words, 1 John 4 and verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, now then he instructs us, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Verse 3. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Listen, folks, I want to stop it there for a moment. 
It matters not how many church gatherings and all the great meetings you see happening over in, in, in London and all the great cardinals or bishops, whoever, and come out with all these decrees of what they believe. Some don't believe in the virgin birth. Some don't believe that he came in the flesh. It matters. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Are you hearing me this morning? The last conversation I had with our friend Ebo, and it's very significant, was just a couple of weeks ago. He's, he's, he's left now, and we've been praying much, and he was here regularly. And I know many people got an opportunity to share with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I sat in the car, just, just on that main street, and this is my last conversation with him. He had his little prayer beads, the, the Muslim prayer beads. And he was saying, you know, Tim, he says, Nice people, I love the church people, so kind, show me love. But he turned around and he said these words, Tim, but God had no son. But God had no son. And I said, Ebo, I want you to listen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God had a son and his name was Jesus. God had no son. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Not, not that he's a bad person. He's a sinner like everyone else, whether he's Muslim, Protestant, Catholic, or Hindu, or whatever. Listen, God had a son. This is the great news for the world. And they called him Jesus. And he came into the world to save sinners. He died on that cross. And three days again, he rose triumphant. God had a son. Not only was he God's son, but he was God himself in the flesh. This spirit of Antichrist is not somewhere over in the Middle East. It's on the doorstep. You understand me? It's in our schools. It's in the workplace. It's everywhere. There's the spirit of Antichrist. Now here's what John says. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. Would you read verse 4 with me in 1 John 4? 1 John chapter 4. Because this is the age of the Antichrist that's rising all around us. 1 John 4 and 4. If you're there, let's read it together. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? So wherever you are, I'm in hospital, I'm in the civil service, I'm driving a lorry, I'm, I'm working behind a desk, I'm a mummy in the house, I'm, I'm walking up the street, I'm in Lytles, I'm in, I'm in B&M. We've got our own ball the But wherever you are, we're more than conquerors because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so we got to know that. Brothers and sisters, we got to, this can't just be something we can quote now and again or hang on our wall. This has to become a living reality to live this life in these days. It's in the victory of Calvary that they said, Behold their threatenings. Now I want to just move this forward very quickly if I could. Behold their threatenings. There's a threat against the Christian today, against the born again Christian. There's a threat against them. There's a real threat against them. Hopefully brought you some of that warfare this morning. When they cried, behold their threatenings. The strategy of today is not a new strategy, but the strategy of today is as old as the hills. 
It's to cause the people of God to be afraid. Not just afraid in the workplace, but you see the powers of darkness that are being unleashed today. It's hitting every home. It's hitting every Christian, every individual, every young Christian, every older Christian. There's an unleashing of the powers of darkness to cause the people of God to fear. You understand that, don't you? And it's very real. This is an ind- But this is not a new strategy. This is as old as the hills. You remember, now maybe someone's sitting here this morning, well, that would never happen to me. Well, I want to tell you, brother or sister, just be very careful what you said. It happened to a man that prayed and stopped the heavens from raining. It happened to him. And if it happened to Elijah, who was filled with the Holy Ghost, then surely it could happen to anybody in this room. Is that true? I hope we never get too prideful to say, that's never me. Because, brothers and sisters, that could be you. And so in 1 Kings 19, after the great revival of 1 Kings chapter 18 on Mount Carmel, Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah, saying unto him, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose, and he ran for his life. Maybe someone this morning is here, and in a, in a sense you're running for your life. You're running for your life. The message has come. The the fear is there. You're filled with fear. You're gripped with fear. There's fear in your mind. There's fear in your heart. And in in, in respect, you're running. You're trying to hide. You're running away. And here's Elijah, the great prophet of the Lord. He's on the run. Because Jezebel, you know, this is a different message, but the spirit of Jezebel is alive and well in the 21st century. That's not just a female, that's a male or a female, it's the spirit that is at work as a very powerful spirit and it is a very intimidating spirit. You'll find it functioning in the church in Revelation 2 and 20. It happens that there is a spirit at work to cause the people of God to fear. Think of Esther. At that time when the, the there was a a whole climax when Haman was about to destroy the people of God, the Jews. And here Mordecai, the old prophet, sends the word in the Esther. Esther, you got to go into the king. you got to go before the king. you got to make petition before the king. But Esther was afraid. Rather than go to the prayer house, Esther wanted to stay in the house where she was being pampered. Bible says in the last days men will be lovers of themselves. Speaking to the church, by the way. Lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. To be more interested in their... But God had called them to go in to the king and petition the throne. Mordecai said, listen, if you hold your peace at this time, then there is an enlargement and deliverance will arise from another place, but down thy father's house will be destroyed. In other words, God's purpose for their, her life what God desired to do would be lost because in her fear she drew back. This is real. This is a power. This is a spirit. In Nehemiah chapter 6, if you turn over, I want to follow something through here this morning in this thought. But the strategy of the powers of darkness is to cause God's people to fear. In Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 19, 
You remember that Nehemiah was the great restorer. He was rebuilding. He was building again the old waste places. He was clearing out the rubbish. He was bringing up the walls. His heart was for the work of God, to see the work of God established and to be built. But in Nehemiah 6 and 19, it says these words, Also they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words to him. And then it says these words, And Tobias sent letters to me to put me in what? Fear. Would you say the word fear? You know, I know in the outward that even in a natural sense, nobody wants to sort of come across as that they're, I say the word, a scared. I know a scared is not a real word. Nikki keeps correcting me. But afraid. Afraid. No, no, we're, we've got it all together. Everything's fine. But see, in the inside, the Bible tells me in the last days, men's hearts will fail them because of fear. On the outside, everything, we've got it all together. I want to tell you something, friends. That's what the Bible says. See, in these days, men's hearts are going to fail them because they're afraid. They see what's happening in the world. They see their lives. That's why young people all around us are taking their own lives. Suicide is rampant because they're afraid to live. And God is the giver of life. And the devil's a thief and he comes to steal, to kill and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And so we see here that Tobiah sends a message to Nehemiah to cause him to fear. I wonder if you got your message. I wonder if you got the message. I wonder has the devil sent you a message? To put you in fear. You know what the remarkable thing about Tobiah is? I want to follow him for a moment. In Numbers, in Nehemiah, sorry, 13, if you just follow this through, and some of you will know this, of course, but in Nehemiah 13, so the, the, the walls are coming up, things are coming together, the building's coming together, everything's going well. Now, I want you to follow this with me this morning, this character, Tobiah. Verse 4. Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of God, he was allied to Tobiah. Now what was Tobiah doing back in Nehemiah chapter 6? He's writing letters to Nehemiah to put Nehemiah in fear. Now Eliashib the priest who had the oversight of the house, he was allied to Tobiah. You see the strategy of the wicked one? I want you to follow this. And he had prepared for him a great chamber where oft where aforetime they led the meat offerings, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of corn, the new wine, and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priests. In other words, I want you to follow this this morning. I'll try to get through it as quick as I can, but here's Tobiah. The Bible says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. When we come into the new covenant and understand that our vessels, our bodies, are the temples of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. When we bring out the principles here, we find that Tobiah had found a place in the house of the Lord. Now where was this place? This was the place where the offerings were brought in. Where the tithes of corn, where the new wine and the oil was, which was commanded to be given to who? The Levites. That was the priesthood. Do you know, saints, this morning that you're, you're a priest and a king 
In the new covenant sense, we haven't got that Levitical priesthood as it was in the old. But everyone that's saved this morning is a priest, is a priest of the Lord. So here's Tobiah. He finds himself in the place of blessing. He's living in a chamber. It says it's a great chamber. He's lapping it up. What's he doing? He's doing what the Ammonites have always done. You've got to go way back to find this. In Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, if you flick over to that, we're going to go back to Nehemiah 13 in a moment. But I'm going somewhere. If you follow this through this morning, I am going somewhere with it. In Deuteronomy 23 and verse, verse 3, this is what the Lord says concerning the Ammonites. Tobiah was an Ammonite. He's found himself in a privileged position in a chamber in the house of the Lord where the blessings were to come for the priesthood. Now listen carefully. Remember his purpose is to cause the people of God to fear. So he's trying to stifle the blessing of the Lord. He's trying to stifle God's purpose in their lives. In Deuteronomy 23 and verse 3, let's look at these people. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Why was was an Ammonite not allowed? Because they met you not with bread and water in the way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired against thee Balaam the son of Beor, Pethor, of Mesopotamia, to curse thee. Nevertheless, thy God would not hearken unto Balaam. And I love this next statement. But the Lord thy God, what did he do? He turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. Isn't that wonderful this morning? Listen to it. He turned the curse into a blessing. What were they doing? The children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. They've been set free. The chains have been broken. They're moving into the promises and the purposes of God. Who meets them on the way? The Ammonites, Tobiah, the Ammonites meet them on the way. What are they trying to do? They're trying to stop them entering into the fullness of what God has for them and the purposes of God to stifle the blessing of the Lord. And this is what happens. God turned the curse into a blessing. What's God able to do? What you have meant for evil? God's able to make it good and able to bless you. He turned the whole circumstances in a moment. Now listen, what am I talking about this morning? What's this got to do with us? What are you saying, Tim? This is what I'm saying. I want you to listen very carefully. We're coming to an end in a few moments. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and 27. Neither give place to the devil. Did you hear that verse? Neither give place. Where was Tobiah? Tobiah had the chamber. Boy, he was lapping it up. A great chamber had been made. But what do I mean by that? What way does this all work? How are we bringing this? What, what are you saying this morning? This is what I'm saying, saints of God. There's a spirit at work to put the people of God in fear. And do you know what's happened? Listen to me. Do you know what's happened? He's been given place. He's been given place. And that's not someone saying, 
oh, oh, Tobiah, come on in, or, or, or Satan, come in. I want you to, I want you to cohabitate with me here. That's not what I'm talking about at all. What I'm talking about is a mindset that comes. He starts to plant thoughts. You with me, saints, this morning? He begins to plant a thought in a life. Has anyone ever been in this circumstance? You began to think something, but then a few weeks later you found out that what you were thinking wasn't true. Anyone ever been there? Put your hand up and been there. Like there's only about six at the minute. The rest of you aren't telling the truth. You began to think something, a circumstance. Has anyone been there? And then over a few weeks, then that's built up. And then, I've talked about this before, you're standing in the bedroom and your wife walks in and she says, why are you talking to yourself? Anyone ever been there? It's just me. And you're standing talking about something. Trevor, you've been there. I know you talk to yourself. Amen. That's great. Somebody's telling the truth this morning. Amen. So this is playing on your head. What's happening? Something begins to build up. Something begins. Do you know, sometimes this can happen for a few weeks. Sometimes this can happen for a few months. I want to tell you something else. Sometimes this can happen over years. And that's how someone begins to think. You know what the sad thing is? It's actually totally contrary to the truth that makes us free. And so we begin to think something that isn't true. And now Tobiah's got a place. And what's he do? He stifles. The spirit of that begins to stifle the blessing of the Lord. The purpose of God in our lives. The power of God to bring us into a place of freedom and abundance. And the living power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the river of God flowing. But because our minds have a stronghold and a thought pattern that's maybe been there for years. We believe the lie before we believe the truth. No, they are their strongholds, but the weapons of our warfare, they're mighty through God to the pulling down of every stronghold. I love Nehemiah. I've loved him more over the past couple of weeks. I'll tell you why. When Nehemiah gets back from being away, somebody says, by the way, and this is what you have to do this morning. If if anyone's identifying with this, I want to encourage you. This is what you need to do. You want to say, Tim, that's a bit radical. I tell you what we need today. We need radical believers. But I love Nehemiah. What a man of God he was. He comes back and he walks in and he finds out who's no, it's like who's living in my house or who's been sleeping in my bed. Tobiah has the great chamber. Now here, think about this. Here's here's the man that wants to see the things rebuilt and built up for the glory of God. And so he comes back. In Nehemiah 13 and 7, it says, I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib, that was the high priest, did for Tobiah and preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And verse 8, I want you to hear, I want you to hear me, friend, this morning because there's thought patterns and there's strongholds that have built up. I'm preaching this this morning not because it's a good message or because I think it's a good message. I know I'm preaching this this morning because God wants to set people free. That's why I'm preaching this this morning. This is not just to say, oh, that was a good message. Whether it's good or it's bad, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to free his people and to think right. But it says that it grieved me sore 
Why? The purposes of God were being stifled. The plan of God was being held back and being hindered by the work of Tobiah. This is what Nehemiah did. Therefore, I love Nehemiah. I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. You imagine walking down the street and there's Nehemiah, Pastor Nehemiah, and he's turfing everything out under the street. Oh, he's no grace, that boy. I tell you, that boy knows exactly where this is going. He was ruthless because he knew we're against something. We're against something. And he began to throw all the stuff. You know, sometimes, you know what you need to do? You need to get all the stuff that's in your head and even some of the stuff that's in your life and you need to gather it all together and know what you need to do? You need to cast it all out in the street. They've done that in the New Testament, by the way. They burnt it all. And things have built up. Nehemiah 13.25. This is what was happening. It's actually a powerful story if you go a bit deeper. Elashib, the high priest who allowed to buy it in. Elashib, his... His grandson, I believe it was, married the daughter of Sambalat. You couldn't write it. God did, but here's the high priest. Sambalat was an he was an or character. That's a different message. But here we see this web that's all starting to come together. The, the enemies cast sowing that seed of discord and all that stuff into the people of God. And Nehemiah sees it for what it is. And then what they started to do, they started to compromise their lives. They started to marry. They started to marry the ungodly. And they began to compromise. You see, the enemy's not going to stop, friends. Nikki said something to me the other day. It stuck with me, though. See, if we don't make a decision, the devil will make a decision for you. Are you hearing me this morning? If we don't make a decision, he'll make it for you. And so Nehemiah sees it for what it is. It says in Nehemiah 25, 13, 25, I contended with them. Who's he contending with? No, he's contending with the people of God. Can you imagine Nehemiah being a pastor in the 21st century church? Can you imagine next Sunday morning, I gladly sit there, Pastor Nehemiah's coming. What do you think about that? Well, this is, the, this is what he did. I cursed them. I smote them. This is the people of God. I plucked off their hair. You hear me this morning? Nehemiah's here next week. Peter, he's done a good job already. <laughs> he plucked off their hair. He made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made them made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. They compromised. Can I just say something on the way through here? I believe, I believe passionately that a believer should marry a believer. That's what the Bible says. I, be, I believe that. Listen. I don't believe, and I wish I had a, had more of this teaching. When I was a young man, I didn't, and I, I, I fell often, and I wasn't saved, wasn't working with the Lord. But I want to tell you something. I don't believe that God believes in casual dating at all. I believe that we need our young people to love the Lord, 
to serve the Lord and to find a man or a woman or a young person that loves the Lord also. Let me tell you a few things. They'll love the Lord like you love the Lord. This is what you look for. Number two, I want to tell you something. You'll be attracted to them. Amen. Are you attracted to your husband or your wife? Oh, Lord. The Bible says husbands. (laughs) Oh, we're going to go a different message here, Morgan. Is that all right? The Bible says husbands love your wife. Well, love our wives. Isn't that right? I don't do that love stuff. But God tells us to do that love stuff, doesn't he? You'll love them. You'll be attracted to them. And prayerfully enter into a relationship knowing that in the end it's marriage and it's to death do his part. I believe that because that's what the Bible says. And so we see here in verse 27, coming to a close, and then I'll cut all this short. But it says that, verse 28, Therefore I chased him. I chased him from me. I cleansed him from all strangers. And I appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone, to their business. Everyone to their business. Brothers, I'll I'll, I'll cut this short this morning, but to say this as we're closing. I believe this word is for one or some this morning that over a period of time we've given place. We've given place. There's been a build-up of wrong thinking. It's become a stronghold. Tobiah, in that sense, the spur of Tobiah has become like a stronghold in our mind. Nehemiah has come, but I believe one greater than him is the ministry of the Holy Spirit as Christ himself has come to cleanse us from wrong thinking and to pull the strongholds of the wickedness down. And what happens? The blessing begins to flow. Who needs the blessing? Who wants the blessing of God? Rather than living in a place of fear and defeat and wrong thinking, but to know the power and the blessing of a risen Christ. That's why he died. That's why he's come. Saints, this morning, don't let anyone kid you into thinking that it only happens to you. Don't let anyone, this happens to mature believers the younger believers, the enemy, he's a thief and he's a liar. But Christ has come that we might have life. And they said, behold their threatenings. Hopefully we'll finish this next week. But it's the power of his word that sets the prisoner free. And that word will make us free and keep us free. Let us ask this morning at the end of this meeting, for the ministry of the Holy Ghost. Let us confess in our hearts to the Lord our wrong thinking and the strongholds that have built up and the fear that comes with that. But friends, this morning, in a moment, God will break the dam of everything of what the enemy has built up 
and give us that freedom in Christ again. That's what he's died to give us. That's what he's died to give us. Let's pray together this morning.